Hey, I'm Caressa. Hey, I'm Maddie. You're not watching the Disney Channel right now. <laughs> you're watching Dreadfully, Dreadfully Twisted. <laughs> so you're not watching the podcast right now is what we meant. You're listening to it. disclaimer to this episode um there is violence and sexual assault a part of this episode so i just want to warn you before you start listening and i also apologize if you hear any background noise like my dogs or the birds because we were outside recording this so just want to let you know stay tuned thank you so this is our first episode and today we're going to do the episode about Harvey Miguel Robinson. He was a terrible person. <laughs> Buckle in. Get ready for this. Yes. It's a wild, wild ride. It is. So, Harvey Miguel Robinson was born December 6th, 6th 1974. This is not formal, by the way. <laughs> His parents are Harvey Robinson and Barbara Brown. He grew up with family issues. His dad was arrested for manslaughter. In 1963, his father was convicted of killing Marlene E. Perez. She was 27 and was beaten to death over her head and face. Detectives say she was not recognizable. Harvey Sr. was sentenced to 12 years. It is reported that his father was abusive and alcoholic, but Harvey worshipped his father to everything that I've read about him. His mother, Barbara Brown, was 20 years younger than his father. His parents were only married for two and a half years, and then they divorced when Harvey was very young. He would only see his dad on the weekends, and his mother said that Harvey was uncontrollable when he came back from visiting his dad. He would let Harvey do whatever. One time, Harvey even threw a can out the window while they were driving and said that his dad doesn't, so he, so he can too, which is not good at all. You should never do that. <laughs> so, ten, don't recommend. Yeah, so his mother did scold him for that, which I would have done the same. Um, he would, he has an IQ of 117, which is reported in reports that I've read. He is very strong and was a wrestler in middle school. Other than that, he had a normal life. He had friends and a girlfriend. His dad did pass in 1989. He was very athletic and received a lot of rewards for his essays. People say that when he was young, he would show signs of... Okay, they say that he was a sociopath. So That is better. That is easier. Harvey couldn't like understand right from wrong, and he had issues with authority when he was younger. And that's also reported later in this case with cops and stuff. But it is also reported that he loved to scare people. And for the start of his criminal life, he started with burglary. That's also really hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) He was arrested multiple times for that, and he resisted arrest. Um, So he was a serial killer. Um, His first victim was Joan Burghart. Robinson broke into her house on the night of August 5th, 1992, around 1230 in the afternoon. He attended. He attended. (laughs) I am messing this up so bad. (laughs) So he intended on stealing from her home. 
However, he only stole $50 from her dresser. She did report this to the police that night. When she walked into her house, she noticed that a fan that she had on was turned off and the patio door that she left open was shut and the screen door she had shut and locked was ripped open. So he slashed open her patio screen door and then he broke in through her house that way. Um, The court document states it was about six to eight inches for the slash, which is enough to get a hand through right next to the lock. So that's how he got in. Joan also reported about 40 or 50 dollars was missing from her dresser so that's the same as like he stole that however other than that she said her apartment looked undisturbed someone breaking into her home happened while she was taking her friend home which was between 11 p.m and 12 30 that night unfortunately five days later though on sunday august 9th 1992 jones neighbor called the police to complain for a few reasons her radio was playing for three days and nights no one answered her doorbell, and the screen in her window was out of the window for the same amount of time as the radio had been on. Um, okay, so this complaint is wild, and I can't believe it took them three days to call the police, but the neighbor stated that they heard screaming, the sound of hitting walls, and it sounded like Joan was being hurt or beat up. So I don't know why they didn't call the police before this. I'm not saying that, like, but I know a lot of people do have, like, they see things, but they can't, like, do something. Yeah. It's, it's, like, called something, but I don't know what it is, but... I just can't believe that you heard all the stuff and you didn't call mm-hmm. the police. But I, I don't mean to, like, shame them or anything. I'm just saying I just can't believe that. <laughs> the police arrived and found that the front window was open with a screen leaning against the house, as well as the back window was open with a screen pressed out lying outside underneath the window. The screen door was slashed six to eight inches, just like the court documents said, and the patio door was closed but not locked. When they got inside, they saw Joan lying on her stomach on the floor in the living room in front of the couch. There was a pool of blood on the couch, blood on the floor, blood on the walls. So it was a horrific scene. She was beaten in the head multiple times. Her shorts were ripped open at her crotch and she was not dressed from her hips down. From looking around in the apartment, it was neat and all intact besides Joan's body in the windows. Police concluded that whoever had done this entered through the front window and left the back due to no signs of forced entry. So he, like I said earlier, he slashed open the window screen and then he got in that way, which is absolutely terrifying. That's my biggest yeah, fear. It is. It's really is my biggest fear. <laughs> so the autopsy on Joan Burkhart's body shown that she was sexually assaulted and she had 37 individual blunt force trauma to her head, which caused damage to her brain and skull fractures. That is absolutely terrifying. Um, the weapon mark showed that it was a circular weapon. She also had defensive injuries on both her hands, which showed she tried to fight back. There was a pair of black shorts that, jo- that had Joan's blood on it and also had traces of semen. The blood splatter on the walls indicated that the person who murdered Joan was standing during her attack. It was approximately 5 foot 10. They believe whoever committed the burglary... Burger... Burger... <laughs> burger. <laughs> We're just going to call it burger for short. <laughs> Whoever committed the burger. <laughs> I can't say burglary. <laughs> I just said it. <clears throat> I realize I can't talk. Okay. They believed whoever broke into her home also did the homicide. The police searched for anyone who could have done this or would have done this if it was an ex or someone close to her, but they couldn't find anyone. 
Her family and friends described her as a person who had no enemies. She was special to them, and she was very caring, generous, loving, and she was a fighter. She hoped to marry someday. Before her murder, she struggled and suffered from an early trauma in her life, and she was still struggling with that experience before she was murdered. However, she had accomplished a lot since then, and she was getting better. She was working on becoming a nurse. She was a nurse's aide at the time, so she was working on that. And she played piano for the patients. She was described as an inspiring nurse, music lover, and a former Palmerton High School honor student. She was only 29 when she was killed, and she sounds like she was a very amazing woman. And it's sad that that happened to her. And about 10 months later, on June 9, 1993, Allentown police got a call about a missing person. A person was warned when their newspaper delivery girl, Charlotte Schmoyer, I apologize if I said that wrong. Charlotte Schmoyer didn't deliver the newspaper that they were expecting that morning. She would get up at 5 or 6 a.m. to deliver the papers. It was worrisome to them because she would always deliver the papers on time every day. It was very unlike her to not deliver them on time. She was very prompt. Her newspaper cart was in front of a neighbor's house for 30 minutes without Charlotte. Newspaper had been delivered to another neighbor so when the police arrived, when they found the cart half-filled a separate copy of the newspaper, a Walkman with its headset separated from each other on the ground, there was also a finger streak on the window pane to the, of the door on the nearby garage that she was like next to. They came to the conclusion that she tried to defend herself but had been abducted. Later on, while they were searching a wooded area, they spotted a blood trail that led them to her body. She was buried underneath some logs and her sweatshirt was pulled up, sweatpants and underwear were pulled down to her knees. There was a large wound at her neck, stab wounds below the gaping wound, multiple stab wounds in her back, and bruises on her cheek. Autopsy on her later showed that she had 22 stab wounds, 16 in her back, and then 6 in her front area of her neck. Also had scraping and cutting wounds to the neck, indicating that she was alive and bent down, bent her neck down to fight back. That is absolutely terrifying to be able to be yeah, like fighting really like that. Is. Oh, jeez. Um... This is also supported by there was a cut in her sweatshirt, but not on the body. So whenever she moved her arm, it just slashed her sweatshirt and not her like actual arm. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the weapon in this attack shown it was a knife approximately four inches long. She was also raped before the murder. DNA was left behind from Harvey, which was blood and hair. She was only 15. People say they will remember her, their friendship, her smile and enthusiasm. She was a swimmer and a band member of the rough high school other than that i couldn't find anything more about her which is i was hoping to find more about her because i want to talk more about the victims and not about this yeah. psychopath she was only 15 that she is was so only 15 sad. and she just started her job like a, like a week or so before yeah. she, she did that which is absolutely terrifying. That is absolutely terrifying and i give her prompts like kudos for trying to work yeah. 5 a.m 6 a.m because i'm terrified to go anywhere by exactly, myself me too. <laughs> i go nowhere by myself <laughs> and let alone like going anything at night or whenever it's dark yep. nope i would never do that nope, me either only days after the attack on charlotte denise sam Kelly and her husband john's house was broken into and their guns were stolen and their whiskey was was drank and open on the table when they so when they got home she was like, did you leave this whiskey bottle open from the documentary that I watched? And he was like, no. And then she was like, that's terrifying. I don't, did they report that from, did they report that, like, their house being broken into, do you know? Um, I heard about that. 
whenever I was watching that documentary that mm-hmm. I sent you, it was like the reenactment one. Yeah, I, I watched IDG. it, but I don't remember if like they actually reported it or not. Yeah, they, they did a whole thing on that. Okay, so they did report that. I apologize for not having that in mind. <laughs> <laughs> it was a couple weeks ago whenever I watched the documentary, so... Um. And then on June 28th, 1993, Denise Sam was home alone. Her husband, John, was out of town. She heard noises coming from her closet door. She attempted to escape, but he was able, Harvey was able to grab her. She got away and exited the house. However, he grabbed her again and pushed her onto her back and got on top of her, held her down with his knees. She began fighting back. He punched her about four times, choked her. She tried to punch him and bit his arm. He raped her and then ran through the house to the back where the patio is. After her attack, she called the police. I think the only reason why he even ran away was because the neighbor heard it and they turned their lights on and they were coming outside. So then he ran because he got scared. Mm -hmm. Um, But after her attack, she did call the police. She was severely beaten on the head. She had strangulation marks around her neck and a gash on her lip. A large butcher knife was found on the floor outside the bathroom. After this... Denise and John had left Allentown for a few days, which is completely understandable. I mean, I would too. I wouldn't want to be in the house. Um, I couldn't imagine ever having to go through that and surviving that. That's she is a remarkable woman for going through that. Mm -hmm. Two weeks later, on July 14th, 1993, Jessica Jean Fortney was found dead in her bed. Fortney was half naked, shorts and underwear pulled almost down to her knees, but only around one thigh. Her face was black and swollen, had dried blood on her lips, nose, eyes, nostrils, and her neck. There was blood splatter on the wall behind the couch and on the lampshade. The window on the first floor was open with no screen. So again, he entered through the window, taking the screen out. Her autopsy shown she died in the morning due to suffocation and blunt trauma. She had 50... (laughs) I can't believe all the stab wounds on this is like 37, 22, 50. Like, that's just an insane amount. Like, this this person, like... Harvey is like insane. Mm-hmm. Like it's just crazy. I, I could never even imagine like stabbing somebody that many times. Seriously. Let alone one. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let alone once. <laughs> but she had fifty multiple she had fifty multiple different wounds and injuries. Some shown that it was a closed fist, some shown a ring imprint, other injuries shown that Harvey had placed his knees onto her to hold her down, which resulted in this blood splatter behind her. She was raped. DNA from Harvey had been found there as well, semen and blood. Oh, I couldn't find much about Jessica Jean Fortney in every source that I looked. There was like nothing about her, which I mean is understandable. Family and friends probably don't want to talk about it, but I just I couldn't find anything. So I apologize for not having more on her. And then again, on July 18th, 1993, Denise and John returned to their home. And around 4 a.m., Denise had heard noises. The back door opened, which resulted in their new alarm to go off in their house. And then Harvey left due to the alarm. He got scared, so he ran off. He's trying to go back to her because he wants to end her because she knows what he looks like. And then after this, an officer, Brian Lewis, was assigned to stay with the Sam Callies. On July 31st, Lewis was staying at the Sam Callie home. and It was about 1.30 in the morning, and he heard doors trying to be open and noticed someone at the window. I think he purposely left the window open because they were trying to catch him. Yeah. So he left the window open like a little bit to see if that would entice him to come mm-hmm. in. And then he saw that Harvey removed the screen to the window. Once Harvey got fully inside, Lewis said police and to put his hands up. Harvey went to the kitchen and shots were fired. Harvey at this time had a gun this time. Lewis went upstairs and he heard Harvey try to get out of the house by the door in the kitchen. 
When Lewis went back into the kitchen, he saw it was empty and the glass door was broken. So he left through the back door and broke the glass to get out. <clears throat> and then Lewis was called to the local hospital and he ad- identified Harvey as a person who broke into the Sam Cali home earlier. And he also stated that she had that she he oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Lewis was called to the local hospital and he identified Harvey as a person who broke into the Sam Cali home earlier. And he also stated that he had the same injuries as the intruder did, bleeding from his upper arm and legs. He also had a healing scar from the attack on Denise when she bit him. So that also was helpful that she did bite him. <laughs> Later on that day of July 31st, the police gathered blood samples and hair samples. They also went to his home and found a black ski mask. A pair of gloves under his couch, cushions, another pair of gloves and a pair of rubber gloves, several drops of blood and a shirt in the laundry basket, more blood in his bathroom, bloodstained socks and shorts and a loaded gun, which belonged to John Callie. The police had interviewed Harvey on August 4th, 1993 about him ever driving his mom's blue Ford Tempo and he said he never did unless he was looking for a job. Harvey was also stopped in traffic in September of 1992, a month after the Berg- after Joan Burghardt's after Joan was killed, he was driving that blue tempo that he said he never drove. <laughs> On June 3rd, 1993, Harvey was stopped again in the blue tempo and was cited for driving the wrong way on a one-way street. On the day that Charlotte was abducted and a witness saw blue Ford Tempo driving with a damage to the right side of the car. And on July 31st, 1993, Harvey was trying to get treatment at the hospital. And guess what? He had that Ford Tempo again. So he was caught by police multiple times before these attacks happened. And that's just always crazy. Always with like people who are like serial killers or, you know, doing like like criminal activity. They're always, most of the ones that I hear about, the police talk to them beforehand and like catch them at that time. But like they're not anything not related to like the murders and yeah. stuff. It's just insane how mm-hmm. like... They always talk to police before that and they get away. Yep. It's just, I, I can't stand it. Me <laughs> either. <laughs> but that Ford Tempo was owned by his mom and registered at 709 North Kearney Street. He was registered living at that address from August of 1992 to September of 1992. And then he was registered living there again, May of 1993 until his arrest on in July of 1993. His house was close to each one of the victims. So they were able to link him to each murder and attack through DNA, physical evidence, and eyewitness accounts from all the blood samples, the semen, and all that stuff was was his DNA. So they were able to link him from those. So luckily, he did leave that stuff behind. Yeah. He wasn't good at like cleaning up or anything. So that's a really good thing that they were able to catch him. In March of 1994, Harvey pleaded guilty to the attack and rape of Denise Sam Cali and attacking the officer Brian Lewis. He was sentenced to 40 to 80 years for that one. For that attack. Then in November, he was convicted of raping and killing Joan Burghardt, Charlotte Schmoyer, and Jessica Jean Fortney. He was sentenced to three death sentences. However, the death sentences for Schmoyer and Burghardt were overturned. He agreed to a life sentence in the Schmoyer case, 35 to life in Burghardt, and death in the Fortney case. So he was, he is still currently on death row. He's the youngest person to be sentenced to death row at that time. Harvey Miguel Robinson is known for being the youngest serial killer. He killed three people and attempted possibly four to five people. He stalked one and at least had one victimless burglary. Bur- he, he at least robbed somebody's home. 
<laughs> without hurting them. <laughs> he was only 18 when he committed these brutal murders and attacks. Today, he's still in prison on death row. He is the youngest person to be on death row, like I just said. After the attack, Denise Sam Callie rebuilt her life and served industry organizations and devoted her time to caring for animals. Unfortunately, she did pass away at 65 on January 15th of 2021. I think her husband, like, said she was, like, remarkable for... So, um, she said, when you live through your worst nightmare, you appreciate the small things. However, it takes a lot of work to get through the trauma. I went through a lot of numbness, shock, and horror before I reached the state. So, it's amazing that she was even able to come to, like, that state of mind to be, like, not over it, per se, but... Yeah. She was healing from mm-hmm. it, and that's just remarkable that she was able to do that. And then she also said, there's no doubt in anyone's mind that Harvey Robinson is a violent serial killer. If we abolish the death sentence, does he does he serve his sentence in prison with the rest of the prisoners? It's not fair to anyone to be subjected to Robinson. He lies in wait to kill again. So a lot of people say that if he did get out, he would just do this again. Oh, yeah. Because I definitely believe that. He's cold-blooded. Yes, he has no remorse or anything. And it's just nope. insane how people, like, I feel so much. Like, I know. Like, I, know I cry over, like, stubbing my toe or, yep. like, acting like killing a bee or something. I cry over, like, a sad commercial on yeah. TV. Like, um, it's crazy. But John Kelly said his wife has never shied away from talking about the attack and readily agreed to media interviews over the years. So it's just amazing that she also wanted to help other people that ha- like, went through these things. That's what she was trying to do after her attack. She was just trying to, like, help other people, which is amazing. I wanted to end on Denise for this episode to shine light on the very brave and to remember her not for the attack, but who she was as a person who survived such a brutal experience. She agreed to speak out about her attack because she wanted to help other people or who or who, other victims who went through this. Um, her husband said she thought anything she could to help another woman, another person, that kind of scenario. So that just shows how amazing of a person that she was and how she wanted to help other people, which is amazing. But not only do we need to remember Denise Sam Callie for this, we also need to remember the victims who were killed, Joan Burghart, Charlotte Schmoyer, and Jessica Jean Fortney. They're all amazing women who deserve to live their life to the fullest and not to lose it to such a horrendous act. Even though I didn't get to find much about them i still want to remember them and honor them for what they went through because they did not deserve that and harvey mcgill robinson is a terrible person yeah a monster yeah definitely um so that's the end of the first episode it was kind of a a hot mess there for a little bit (laughs) we'll get better and better as we go but this is the first episode and (laughs) if anybody is listening we do appreciate it we just yes we do we just both like true crime, yes. so we wanted to talk about it because I have no other friends that talk about it with me. And every time I talk to Jeremy, who is my boyfriend, he thinks I'm crazy. <laughs> so, so yeah. we'll see you next time. We'll and see you next time. Stay safe and be kind to other people and spread positivity. Bye, guys. Bye.